Welcome to Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast with Elizabeth Crawford, where I dish with trendsetters, tastemakers, and industry experts about everything from emerging trends to marketing strategies to regulatory pressures. The consumer awakening and subsequent loss of faith in big business over the past 10 years caught many established food and beverage companies on their back foot. But a leading market analyst and communications expert predicts that the tide will shift again in the coming decade as more brands positively respond to changing consumer demands. At the turn of the century, big food and beverage brands sat comfortably in control of how consumers saw their product, thanks predominantly to one-way marketing efforts. But Linda Etherton, a partner and managing director of the global food and beverage and communications consultancy Ketchum, explains this changed in the early 2000s as access to the internet and the emergence of social media revealed an unfiltered view of brands that ultimately led to a power shift from companies to consumers. The resulting frustration and fear on both sides inspired Ketchum to undertake a massive research project called Food 2020 Consumer as CEO that would span more than a decade and ultimately provide a roadmap for companies to reconnect with shoppers through 2020 and beyond. In this episode of Food Navigator USA's Soup to Nuts podcast, Atherton shares insights from this research, including how consumer food evangelists emerged and how their competing influence with commercial messaging continues to shape shoppers' interpretation and expectations of brands. She also looks forward to how this research and megatrends continue to shape the shopping preferences of Gen Z in 2020 and throughout the rest of this coming decade. Etherton acknowledges that the multi-million dollar question posed to communication consultants everywhere is that what will the future hold? What types of products will pique consumers' interest? How will their values influence their purchase decisions and what messages will inspire them and what ones will turn them off? But she astutely added that trends do not evolve in isolation. Rather, there are composite of insights gleaned from what is happening today, fueled by the outcomes of the past and propelled by the promises of what lies ahead. Which is exactly why she said Ketchum's global food and beverage sector and Ketchum Analytics undertook researching Food 2020, consumer as CEO. Food 2020 was really born out of a need to find a way to first understand what was all the turmoil about back in the early 2000s. Uh, Food was under a great deal of pressure and, frankly, challenge. And we didn't quite, at that moment in time, understand who or what was driving that turmoil. And looking to the year 2020, did we have any kind of clarity on whether that turmoil would continue into future decades? Was it going to be different? Would it change? So as part of our remit at Ketchum, we're always looking for ways to find the insights that are driving trends and look ahead. Because when we do this, we can identify better strategies and pathways for communicating and succeeding in the marketplace. 
So the research project we undertook, which we later named Food 2020, Consumer as CEO, was launched in 2008, originally in uh, five parts of the world, and later series repeats of that research were expanded to 11 other regions of the world. We repeated the work in 2011 and again in 2016, and many people know today that much of the learnings that we have acquired over those years and those insights led us to look more closely at food technology in our recent research that helps us understand what's going on with the technologies and innovations going on in the food space and who will or won't accept those and how will we communicate about those. So it's been a great journey, a journey of learning and knowledge and, frankly, a lot of surprises. You know, I remember one thing that really stood out in the early years of this research were the many conversations with executives all around the food industry who, frankly, were extraordinarily frustrated. Part of the frustration was that consumers seemed to be flip-flopping and couldn't make up their mind. And consumer research would tell the marketers one thing, and they would deliver, and only to find out that it was a colossal misread or a failure. Then we saw huge amounts of negativity and chatter online in particular and in media about practices within the industry, production practices, processing, and suddenly everything that the food industry was doing that it had been doing for centuries suddenly was all circumspect. It was all being picked apart and challenged. And when I look at, looked at that back then, I remember looking in the eyes of many food executives, and there, truly there was frustration all over their face and a bit of hopelessness. And our research actually determined that we were in a much better place than we thought, that consumers really did want to know more and wanted more of the food industry, but we had a strong foundation to build upon we were just missing the mark when it comes to relating to them and resonating with them in a way that they understood. Etherton explained that much of the disconnect between what brands were saying and what consumers were hearing in the past decade came from social media and a small but highly influential group of outspoken consumers that Ketchum dubbed food evangelists. The disconnect we believe, was totally driven by social media. With the onset of social media, what happened were individuals who had questions that were not getting answered, had concerns that were not being addressed, at least to their own satisfaction, were utilizing the social media channels as their personal megaphone, not only to broadcast their unhappiness or their lack of confidence in the food industry, but they were acquiring many, many followers along the way. So they would organize and aggregate large volumes of individuals to, frankly, become very energetic around various different topics. This caused the food industry to constantly be 
putting out fires day in and day out. And it became extraordinarily uh, painful and time-consuming. And I do believe in that first wave of the research where we saw that this was not all consumers, but a very important part of the consumer population, it gave us some indication that we could begin to talk and address uh, differently those concerns with that group of people, and we could actually make a difference. So most of that research in the early years was to understand what was their driver, what was their motivation, what did we need to see and do differently in the food industry in order to approach them in a way that mattered, that resonated. And for those who simply were very, very negative, could, could we find common ground anywhere? And that was a big part of the early pieces of research. Unfortunately for many established brands, Ketchum's research revealed that most consumers' disenchantment with food industry was actually focused on so-called big food. And the fear that consumers' values were being trampled in the rush to boost profits and expand margins. That most of that research determined that consumers had become disenchanted with processed food, disenchanted with big food, big anything, quite candidly. Uh, This was not just the food industry, big pharma, big ag, big anything at this moment in time, big government, was not resonating well. The assumption was that the individual's interests had been lost, that values had been set aside for profit. The research did show us that what we needed to do as an industry was to reset our focus on values and what mattered to consumers all around the world. And in doing so, reset our relationship and to begin to rebuild. Trust marks are such an interesting thing. If we look back into the history of brands, they were, you know, Joe's tonic oil, and everybody knew Joe. And in fact, on the tonic was Joe's face and Joe's name and It was a matter of trust that if you knew Joe and you needed tonic, you'd buy it from Joe. That was a trust mark. That's how brands became brands as we know them today. They were symbols of trust. What happened along the way, unfortunately, is we got very, very excited about building brand awareness and brand sales, but brand equity fell to the wayside. And brand equity is more than I know and I believe that's a good brand. It's more about a brand that is going to be my brand, that is going to mirror what I expect and what I need and what I want. And that is going to be an important new way of looking at brands. This is all based on values. Now, as our major food industry leaders look closely at the broken trust between consumers and the marketplace, I think we're beginning to see a resurgence of brands as trust marks, brands that stand for something more than great flavor, great taste, convenient. 
They're brands that deliver on a promise, brands that bring us a sense of you care about the same things I care about. You're doing something bigger or more for our society or for our world than simply bringing us yet another cracker. So it is hopeful to me that as many, many companies have spent more and more time over the past few years to dig into social values and governance and really begin to establish a stronger relationship with what consumers care about, that they're bringing more and more equity to those brands and brand value, value that people truly are looking for. One of the key values that Ketchum's research revealed was rising interest in personalized nutrition, which Atherton predicts will continue to gain momentum well into the next decade. Early research showed us that values were extraordinarily important. But what we also quickly determined is it wasn't one or two different types of values. It was a whole laundry list of criteria that established an individual's sense of values. And each individual had a different set of criteria. That really creates quite a dilemma for a marketer. How do you build value and equity around one set of criteria for one consumer versus another when you're marketing to a mass audience? And of course, as mass marketers, we all know that's a a bit of a challenge to be quite that personalized. But in a way, it really isn't. We have so much technology at our fingertips that there are many ways to achieve a more intimate level of relationship and brand value and brand equity with individuals through the use of technology. I remember we looked back um, many years ago and saw in food service that consumers were looking very closely at what was on the menu. And they were paying attention to how that chef or chef owner was designing his or her menu and their food choices. And that also extended to QSRs. Individuals were looking at those uh, QSR menus and saying, yeah, is this all there is? Is this actually what I care about? With technology, we looked at that situation and said, it's likely that there will be a day and time when a consumer could literally go online, fill out a profile of the things he or she prefers to eat or not eat, uh, their food preferences, and sign up with local chefs and chef owners to let them know that these are my preferences and when I go on open table or whatever my favorite reservation uh, uh, booking unit is, I will make that booking. My chef is going to see, oh, I see Linda's going to be showing up here on Friday. She loves this but not this. I'll make sure my server points out these three things on the menu, which I think are going to be right up her alley. This is a way to bring personalization into even the high traffic area of a restaurant where every restaurant owner is looking for repeat business. Tough to do, really tough to do. I can't think of a better way of creating a following 
then to begin to show you're customizing your menus to your consumers. So I don't think we're all that far away from that possibility. The impact of shifting power balance from brands to consumers is perhaps most notable among today's youngest shoppers, who Etherton says are more likely to view their relationship with brands and corporations as a partnership compared to their older counterparts who are more likely to view the relationship as potentially adversarial. Gen Z is the most interesting of all of the different food uh, consumer sectors I think that we've ever looked at. They are dynamic and open and curious, uh, but they're restless. They want answers. They want information up front. And yet they're going to be very experimental. I think we are very pleased to see through some of our recent technology research that we've been doing uh, with uh, Ketchum that we're seeing a lot of those consumers are very, very willing to embrace new innovations, new technologies, because these are, in their minds, signals of creating food a better way and creating food that is better and more relevant to their lives and to their health and to their safety. Uh, This Gen Z audience is going to be extremely uh, powerful in building our successes and our failures. They expect a very personalized approach in conversations and access to information. They expect transparency. Uh, And they're not going to really uh, take no for an answer. But they're also going to be very willing to explore a variety of different new foods, technologies, and they're willing to forgive us if we make some experiments happen that simply just don't pan out. They want to see us do the experimenting, and they want to see us share our failures and our successes. They want to be part of that journey. Uh, I believe that that Gen Z audience very much sees themselves as stakeholders in the food business and food industry. It's part of their livelihood as well. You know, food is both enjoyment and passion, but it's also, uh, it is a way for us to survive. And they see that as a very important choice Uh, day-to-day when it comes to consumption. As Gen Z continues to join the conversation between older consumers and companies, Etherton predicts that the level of importance placed on different trends no doubt will continue to evolve, as will the level of trust that shoppers overall place in businesses. Unfortunately, we don't have time to dig in that today, but I hope that you'll join me again next week to learn more from Etherton about how companies will continue to respond to evolving consumer demands in the coming decade, as well as strategies for ensuring long-term success. Until then, this is Elizabeth Crawford wishing you a productive and profitable week and a happy new year. 